just one more person. Set a goal to find a way to make our society, our shared society, large enough to include one more person. The history of humanity is replete with evidence of marginalization or of shrinking the size of society to just those who look like you, act like you, pray like you, think like you. There has been this marginalization of different groups. The history, however, of the later part of the 20th century and the 21st century has been an attack against that older theory a growing sense of inclusion among disparate groups that have not always been within power in society. The shrinking of the gender pay gap, for example, gay marriage becoming legal in all 50 states, the growth for racial and social rights among African Americans and other minorities that are traditionally marginalized, those groups have become more and more a part of society because society has grown to include them. And this is a wonderful thing. And the history of the most recent part of our lives has shown just one fact. We need to work so much harder and so much more to grow that inclusivity. We have just only begun and need to do more. The thing is, is that for most of those groups, ethnic and racial groups, religious groups, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, sexual preference, those groups have the mental, emotional, and cognitive capacity to advocate on their own behalf. Yes, they need allies in order to truly advance in power and and create a more just and inclusive society that includes them. What happens, however, when the group that you're talking about, a group that lives outside, typically, of our society, doesn't have that cognitive, emotional, or mental capacity to advocate on their own behalf because they have a developmental disability. They have some sort of cognitive disability which precludes them from using their own voice. That's when somebody needs to step in and be the voice for those without a voice. Enter Michael Hernandez, Best Buddies Racing, Best Buddies International. Michael is a is a well-known bike racer. He's somebody who has been at the forefront of the American Criterium Peloton and, in fact, the entire road racing Peloton in the United States for over 12 years. He is the 2019 U23 national champ in the road race. He's somebody that we know as a person who is a bike racer, but he is also an advocate for those with emotional and mental disabilities through Best Buddies. He has made it a mission in his life to use bike racing and to use the platform that bike racing gives him to push forward the inclusivity of the members of Best Buddies, of the buddies, of those who don't necessarily have the capacity to advocate for themselves. And we sit down with Michael for the hour here to talk about his mission. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows, the internet's only collection of top-tier independent I want to stress independent cycling media. Go to WideAnglePodium.com. Find out everything you need to about all the great shows, Slow Ride Podcast, Cyclocross Radio, which is now covering the mountain bike series for the summer, the Grodio, Nowhere Fast. Everybody's doing some really, really great work. Please become a member and subscriber and help financially support this content creator-owned effort. This week's show is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, manscaped manscaped.com. You've heard us talk a lot about them, but if you're new to the show, Manscaped is a men's grooming company that specializes in creating things that help make you live your best life, help put your best foot forward through grooming, through shower, through deodorant, through lip balm, through all of it. I just got out of the shower myself. I smell wonderful and fresh because I used the Manscaped shampoo and conditioner and also the body wash. It's just it's just a really great experience that I want you to share with as well. I want you to be your best. 
Go to manscaped.com, find what you're looking for, and when you find it, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. This week, we are also brought to you by our good friends at Source Endurance, the one-stop shop, to borrow Alan Schroeder's phrase, for all things in performance coaching. Whether you need coaching itself, you need nutrition, you need somebody who can help guide you to your best Belgian waffle ride experience through tire and other good choices, go to Source Endurance. Their website is source-e.net. Find the services that you're looking for and use the same promo code, Criterium Nation, all one word, for $50 off your first month of coaching. So a little programming note before we get into this episode, we are going to be off for the next two weeks. Alan is at Redlands as we speak. By the time you get this tomorrow in your ear pods, I will be on my way to Speed Week and Celine will be joining Alan at the Tour of the Gila. So we've got a lot of bike racing that we're going to be doing over the next two weeks. If you happen to be in any of those places, cheer us on. Let us know how we're doing bike racing or podcasting. We'd love to hear from you. And in fact, if you want, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you go. Tell us how we're doing. We really appreciate all of it. So we, Alan, Celine, and I, the full crew is here, have Michael Hernandez for the hour. We're talking inclusivity, we're talking bike racing, and we're talking about a love story. And we're doing all of that right now. My name is Michael Hernandez. I race for Best Buddies Racing, and I currently live in Miami, Florida. Michael, so I want to start with the most broad questions possible, and then we're going to work through this discussion to more and more specific things, and then we're going to end on the highest of high notes, I'm hoping, which is all about love. So this is a show about love. That's obviously the case, and it's also a thinly veiled show about style and fashion. So let's start with style and fashion first. And you guys, Best Buddies Racing, have brand new kits for 2022. What is the inspiration behind the bright green seafoam? I don't even know what the Pantone is. Can you can you lay it out for us? We're, we're shooting for turquoise. Uh, so Best Buddies, the organization, has... Uh, multiple different colors that we identify with that go along with different illnesses on the spectrum. And turquoise is one of those colors. So the neon green that we used last year, we wanted something vibrant that popped that we were going to see on the live streams. But we wanted something this year that was a little more on brand. And that's where the turquoise kind of took over. Let's talk about the brand because Best Buddies Racing is part of Best Buddies organization you have a social mission beyond just being exceptionally talented bike racers. What is that social mission? So Best Buddies International has a mission of supporting people with intellectual disabilities, which starts uh, in elementary school and supports all the way through end of life. Uh, It starts with uh, one-to-one friendships in schools, and then uh, that's all the way through pretty much high school. And then when you get in high school, the uh, the focus then turns to either job search or getting people into college. And then uh, we kind of go from there into our leadership program, which is where, you know, it helps people with intellectual disabilities, you know, find jobs and be successful at those jobs. And, you know, we, we really want to hit people from, you know, all ages. And, uh, you know, the most, the most common thing you hear is the spectrum. And, and we, we cover everything on that spectrum from autism to Down syndrome and, uh, you know, anything that is an at-birth developmental disability. How did this become a passion of yours? Because we've had other guests on the show from Best Buddies Racing, you know, like Travis, who was one of your teammates last year. And obviously we've had Danny Estevez on this year, the man who changed everything. You know, all of them point back to you as the kind of the glue that holds this whole connection between Best Buddies Racing and Best Buddies Organization together. How did you become so interested in working towards inclusivity for those who have mental and developmental 
limitations? So in November of 2020, well, September 2020, I started going down to Miami. I'm originally from Orlando, Florida, but I was going down to Miami to ride with some friends and, you know, just trying to figure out where life was going to take me. I took a step back from, uh, excuse me, from professional bike racing uh, to finish school. And so through 2020, I was finishing my degree, which was in criminal justice, which has nothing to do with what I do now. You know, so I'm just just trying to figure out life and figure out where I wanted to go and what direction. And uh, I just happened to run into Anthony Shriver, the founder of Best Boys International, on a one of their group rides that they do during the week. If you, for people that don't know, Anthony uh, founded Best Buddies. His mother uh, uh, founded the Special Olympics. His father founded the Peace Corps. His uncle is JFK. His sister was married to uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, uh, you know, he's, he's a very well-connected person, but also a very passionate person uh, in the mission of, you know, special special needs and in that developmental disability area with his mom having, you know, started the Special Olympics. So I, I started riding with him, and uh, in November we run a ride called the Miami Challenge, which is for our very high-level donors. We shut down the streets of Miami and uh, we bring about 50 riders to come ride police escorted through the streets of Miami, Miami Beach. And, uh, you know, it's all we, what we call six-star event. Anthony invited me to come be a ride leader for that to help keep the group together and move it along. And, you know, he heard through the grapevine that I used to race professionally and that, you know, I was an under-23 national champion. And he is a, he's a very competitive person. And so when he heard all those things, he got very excited uh, and very invested in, into me. And he was starting to ask me questions about racing and all these things. And he invited me to a coffee and he asked me there if I thought that elite level bike racing and professional bike racing was a viable way to raise funds and spread awareness for best buddies. Um, I thought then what I think now and that it is a very viable way to do it if we do it organically and grow at a level that can be replicated with our exposure. Um, that's why last year we focused on USA crits. I thought it was the most, it was the most viewed form of bike racing, uh, there was in the U S and bang for your buck. It was, it was probably the, the top level racing you were going to find, uh, this year, I think it's the American crit cup is definitely the, the pinnacle of that. Uh, and so, you know, we've started off really well with that. And, uh, beyond that, we're still going to venture out and do other big races where we can find attention and, uh, we have something really cool and special that Best Buddies is in all 50 states and in 56 countries. So we can go compete in any of those places and, and have an impact with Buddies locally. And for us, that has been the most impactful thing. And for me, it's been the easiest way to get the guys on the team to really see what Best Buddies is about is when we actually have Buddies at the bike race. And it has also, it's been amazing to see how our performance at bike races increases immensely when we have Buddies there. Because you ha- you see that mission, uh, you know, hand in hand. Yeah, that's a pretty unique, um, I guess, experience that you can have as a bike racer. Like having essentially your sponsor be so like connected to the team like that. Um, you know, like when we go to Salt Lake City, sure, we like Ventum is there and we get to see them that way. But to have it so integrated, where almost anywhere you go, you can have buddies there, and then you get to interact with them on such a regular basis is really cool and unique and like, yeah, I guess that's a, uh, it's just very different than, than what you typically see within cycling as a whole. Yeah. Even, even now, like with, with COVID still being not, it's not super prevalent, but you know, buddies are, are extremely high risk, uh, for COVID and, and all those things. And we, our team was formed in a time that most of our programs with best buddies got delayed, postponed, and even shut down because of staffing issues, because, parents weren't comfortable with their kids being indoors with their kids. And, you know, and it was a way to bring buddies together last year that, you know, I had a parent come up to me and say, my son had the most amazing time today because he's been inside for over a year. This is his first social outing in over a year because, you know, bike race is a perfect place for that. It's outdoors. It's friendly. You can be socially distanced if you want to. You can wear your mask. You don't have to wear your mask. It's there's there's very lax rules, and you know we we as the team try to be as accommodating as possible for all of that. And so, you know that those were the things that hit home for me last year. That I was like, this is why I do this. It's it wasn't you know for the bike racing. The bike racing is part of it, and and that's how we we get the attention. And Anthony has told me the best way to sell what we have to offer is by winning. But the for us and the team, the, the coolest thing is, is actually seeing it 
in the buddies that you know come and actually participate at the at our events or at the events that you know these races are putting on yeah kind of going off of that i have a question about i guess your fulfillment in cycling and just seeing how long you've been doing it and then taking a step away from racing to finish school do you think that this kind of environment having this relationship with best buddies is more fulfilling for you as a bike racer than a different scenario and maybe do your teammates also share that sentiment yeah one thousand percent i this is my 12th year racing uh i started when i was 12 years old and uh you know i've been every year been more competitive more competitive and you know trying to you know for the majority is it's half my life at this point i'm 24 so uh for i can say for the majority of my life i've been chasing being a professional bike racer and for me to you know it was in 2019 is when i made that decision of i told myself if i'm not if i don't get a contract that i can be self-sufficient and stop being a burden to my parents uh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take a step back and figure out what i'm gonna do after this i, I knew i wasn't gonna totally step away from the bike and it kind of just worked out in a perfect scenario that COVID hit and there was no bike racing anyway. So, you know, I, I was fortunate to not be stuck in some crappy contract with some, you know, low level team that, you know, I, I still had to train or whatever because racing might start next week. And, uh, and so I was super fortunate to be able to focus fully on, on school. Um, I started doing some jujitsu and then I, you know, was riding whenever I had time or wanted to ride. And so, uh, you know, that, that for me, you know, finding this opportunity, it brought me back into the sport at a very competitive level, but it brought me back for the reason I wanted to come back. If this is bigger than sport. It's bigger than myself. And it's not about Michael Hernandez becoming the best bike racer he can be. You know, that, that point in my life has passed. And I think, you know, last year, especially you know, people called us team retirement because, you know, we had all these older guys on the team like Eric, even Ben, Ruben, Travis, all these guys were removed from the sport. And you know, for some guys, it was a couple of years removed from you know professional racing. And you know, last year the the purpose of that was to bring these big names to get that immediate attention. And then you know what kept them around and what kept them wanting to compete and wanting to race was the mission. You know, none of them cared, and and still like very few of the guys care about like oh I need to I need to win. You know, I need to be the winner on the team, and that's why I think we're so successful. So we have guys that we have guys that can win, but nobody has to win. And, you know, we win by, by engaging in that mission. And my personal goal with the team at this point and, you know, for the next couple of years is every, my goal is that every event the Best Buddies Racing is at, we have buddies actively there. And it's, it sounds simple, um, but it's, you know, there's so many, you got, you, you have parents, you have Best Buddies staffing issues and, and things that, that, you know, come up that's, you know, natural hiccups and, you know, everything's that can can fight against you is going to fight against you but that is my goal is that every event whether it's local you know national level event we have buddies at because that for me is is what we are doing this for tell us about that part of it because it is the most visually present component of your effort here is you know you you see these you see the buddies on the podium with you guys you are surrounding them you are including them in the entire celebration you know what is that experience like for you and for for them you know for the buddies yeah i mean so far the easiest the easiest people that we've talked to about getting buddies to races are ones that came last year because every every uh program manager state director that was involved said the buddies had an amazing time and for us, that that was a home run is, you know, okay, we might not have won the race, you know, Legion might have swept the podium, but, you know, we, we hit our goal of making sure that our target audience at the end of the day is our buddies. And so, you know, as long as they're having a good time and they're having, you know, they get to leave there with a medal, that, that for me was awesome. We, we found at Tulsa last year, like I, I took the young rider jersey there and I, and I gave that to one of our, one of our buddies and she like, she started crying right there in front of me. And, you know, for me, that was super impactful of like, and from there on every race we went to, I, t I asked the, we started traveling around with a box of medals just in case like we didn't get on the podium. We could still let those buddies leave with a medal, even if we didn't get on the podium. And, you know, every race that we've done that, it's been extremely impactful. Athens like gave, gave us like a, you know, a box of 10 extra medals and we were able to give buddies, you know, medals from the podium. And, 
you know, that momentum that they get to hold on to. I, I have, I have buddies message me on Instagram, on Facebook all the time. Oh, I can't wait for you to come back here. Like, and they send me a picture of them wearing the medal, you know, six months later. And, you know, for, for a bike racer, you, you win a medal, even if it's at Athens twilight and it probably sits in a drawer somewhere or, or whatever, even if it's a national championship. And, uh, and so for them, it, you know, this is real and it's, it's something that they, they invest in and they, for the buddies, it, it's, they are huge supporters of ours because they see that we're huge supporters of theirs. And so, uh, for that to be authentic is, is the most real thing for me because I told Anthony last year, we can find, you know, a bunch of really fast bike racers if that's our plan, but they could be terrible people. And if they can't do what we plan, what we need to do off the bike and what our main mission is off the bike, then it's not going to work. And so, uh, you know, winning bike races is only going to take you so far when you're trying to impact people. Why don't we talk a little bit about 2019? Because I remember that race in Hagerstown when you won the U23 jersey. I, I was there. Um, I can't remember every single detail about it, but I do definitely remember. I def- can. I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm sure you can. But just just looking at the names of the people that were right alongside you, you know, Eric Bruner finished third. He's now the national champion in cyclocross. Gage Hecht finished fourth, former national champion. Ryan Jastrab got seventh in that race. And a, a gentleman named Lance Haydet, now on Legion of Los Angeles, finished 11th. I mean, you you scroll a little bit down the list and you're going to find Dalton Collins, Hugo Scala Jr. You know, you find all of the guys who are now like Will Harden finished 52nd in that race. And last week when you raced with him at Sonny King, Will Harden was at the front all the time. In fact, at the front chasing, chasing you down. Yes. Like is, was 2019 just a magical year for you? 23 bike racers. I, I do think that our, my four years of U 23 racing is some of the most competitive that there's been in a long time. And you can see that, you know, obviously in what we have nationally still, but if you look at the world tour, we have this huge bucket of American riders winning at the world tour, Mateo Jorgensen, Brandon McNulty, Nielsen Paulus. I had to race against and with these guys on the national team. Um, Ian Garrison racing for, uh, you know, Legion now, he's pro national time trial champion, race for de Kunick. Uh, American bike racing was thriving at the time. And, you know, even if you date back a little farther, like Adrian Costa, you know, that guy was a phenom before his accident. And, you know, and, you know, I, I grew up racing with him when I was 14. We started racing for the same team on Slipstream Craddock. So, yeah, I mean, 2019 was, uh, it was a brutal year for me of like, you know, I, I thought I had some relatively good results, but not results in the right races and not enough races in the right places. And that's, those places are probably Europe. Uh, but I, you know, I, I don't look back on 2019 with any regrets and I don't think I would have done anything differently. I, I got to, uh, you know, I, that's my only national championship to date. And that was my goal as a junior. I was chasing that for 10 years, nine years, whatever it was. I got to race tour California that year. I got to race tour to Lavinier that year with the national team. And, uh, you know, really can't look down on anything. I, I can't say that USA cycling screwed me or anything like that. The, the USA cycling gave me more opportunity and just about anybody to, to get to a level where I really got to be seen by other teams and, and opportunities. But, you know, that being said, you look, you look at those, you know, results of guys now, it's, uh, it's, it's not surprising that, you know, these guys are, are being so successful. They were successful as, as 19 year olds racing, you know, those big races. I think Jorgensen was like on the podium at Tor Utah when he was 19. So why don't we change, we'll bridge here from, your results in 2019 to your team's development and the creation of the team as it exists now in 2022. When this all started in 2021, where did you envision this program going? For 2022 or where do I see it going? Like when you started it in 2021 and and moving on forward, that'll be the second question here. But in 2021, when you started it, where did you envision this program going? 2021, our goal was USA Crits. We wanted to win. We had a team call. Once we, once we had all our riders signed, we had a team call with Anthony, uh, our boss. And we said, well, he asked us, what what is a reasonable goal 
if we're going to go after USA crits, you know, what, what is realistic and what is the standard I can hold you guys to? And we agreed that the standard that we should strive for is the team overall for USA crits. We, we believe that that was, you know, I don't want to you know throw shade at people, but the individual res- overall is not a, per- not per se a participation trophy, but a lot of it is you have to be on a team that you're going to be the guy every time. Uh, it's not really a result that is, you know, we, we had a team that we had a very diverse team that, you know, we had guys that could sprint, could go on the brakes and be good at different races. To, to win that, you have to be good at every race, which is, you know, you know, kudos to Gibbons for that. But, you know, when you when you have to work for other people for a result, you, you, you lose in that points. But by losing those points, you also gain your team points. And so we, we picked up that team overall win. So that was a win for us. Uh, we, I won the best young rider jersey last year. That was a win for us. Uh, Summerhill came in and, you know, lap, or led more laps, I think, in three races than everybody did over the whole series. Uh, and then I personally finished second overall by some magical way. I don't know how I found myself there, but, uh, but you know, it, it wasn't for us, it was, it was a home run season, uh, which, you know, saying that we only won, we won three USA crits races out of the 10, which, you know, not great percentages for us, but considering, you know, how well dialed Legion was, uh, you know, we were really happy with it. Obviously I think for us, Spartanburg is that biggest win where we beat, you know, Legion's full squad head on. And uh, it was definitely the most, you know, sought or, you know, hard fought win. But uh, we, we don't take El Paso for granted. We don't take Birmingham for granted. And we definitely don't take Danny's two national championships for granted, regardless of who was there or not. Um, stars and stripes are stars and stripes. So, you know, last year was, was great for us. But, you know, this year, I think already we've exceeded that team from last year tenfold. So I want to jump here with 2022. And then after... You answer that. I think Celine and Alan need to get in here and and start, you know, talking because they were in these races with you. Alan was, um, you know, watching Ben Wolf do Ben Wolf things last year. So, you know, in the second half know, of the year, he, he decided to start training in the second half of the year. I guess <laughs> <laughs> took a broken wrist. Yeah, it took a broken wrist for him to decide, OK, I guess I'll ride. So with 2022, you know, it's April right now. You've had a bunch of races already, the Dominican Republic, you know, Panama. You've gotten second at Birmingham and you've won at Sonny King, both Alfredo Rodriguez results. You know, what is 2022's goal for Best Buddies Racing? We're, we are we are here to win everything. We, we don't think we're going to do a race this year that we don't have a chance of winning. Um, and I, and I don't say that, you know, you know, with, you know, ego, anything like that. I think we've built a team this year that is, uh, on paper, I think we could throw us against any team in the U S and, and we can be competitive. Um, you know, we have guys that can, you know, not just sit in and sprint, but also sprint out of breakaways. We have guys that, you know, and you just see it by the results and not, not, you know, this year has already shown that these guys are already up to the standard that I've expected them to be at. And that now with the addition of Thomas Craven, he expects them to be at. And we have already exceeded Craven's expectations by a lot. And that was in the Dominican. He didn't think we'd be a good road race team at all. But you know, for five days in a row, our worst result was second place. So that was pretty good. The last two days, we don't really want to talk about that. But <laughs> there, there was a 10-mile climb that kept a leader's jersey away from us. Oof. I mean, yeah, especially when you're in the Dominican Republic, uh, You've got a lot of a lot of things going against you in that scenario, but um, but as maybe maybe you didn't get the leaders jersey there, but racing down in Panama a couple of weekends ago, I mean you guys won every day of those four days of crits. Yeah, I mean how was that whole experience? Like what was racing down in Panama like? Like what were those courses like? That was my third time doing that race. Every year it's been a little controversial at times because you know you're racing down in south america you're going to expect south america things to happen the first year i got disqualified there um for racing the same way that other people race and then uh last year we got in a couple fights but we won it last year with travis that was actually where we picked up danny estevez or started the conversation with danny estevez uh danny finished Mm -hmm. second to to travis there and it was the first time I've ever seen someone blow the doors off of Travis in the way Danny did in terms of just pure speed in a sprint. And so at, we finished that race and Travis and I were like, we need that guy. 
you know, that, that's the guy we're missing. So uh, that's where that conversation started. And uh, so for us, it was, it was a no brainer to want to go back there. We had a lot of success there the year before, because if you add Danny's two stage wins plus Travis's two stage wins, we've won the last eight stages of, a, of Panama. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that for us was kind of cool to go back there. And, you know, this year the race was not, it wasn't a slouch race. And that was, you know, something that a lot of people, you know, look at these South American races and like, oh, they're just going to go cherry pick bike races. But we raced 125 guys with Medellin there, uh, pretty much the same field we race in the Dominican plus Medellin. And, you know, if you, if you hold the Medellin a slouch team and you, you don't really pay attention to bike racing much because Oscar Sevilla is a gangster. So, um, you know, that race, it was, it's mostly closed circuits or it's all closed circuits. One day is a criterium on a 600 meter course. Uh, so that day suited us extremely well. Uh, just the bike handling of, of American crit racing put onto, uh, smaller, narrower roads with guys on our team that are absolutely insane. And, you know, as Danny said, he's not scared of nobody. So, uh, (laughs) so we, we, we put that to the test and, uh, and we came out on top, but for, for me, the coolest thing about that was we won four days with four different people. And that was the testament to Anthony, to us, to everybody that's questioned our team is that we're not a one hit wonder this year like we kind of were last year with Estevez that we have depth that I don't think is matched in the U.S. this year yeah I mean that's definitely hard to argue with I didn't realize that you guys had won all four with four different guys um I'd be willing to say that there's not really another team in the country right now that can do that and like do it so uh yeah like confidently I guess that's pretty crazy the courses did suit us well so it it helped our to our advantage of you know it was short finishes out of the last corners knowing how to corner knowing how to use the corners to your advantage and and we we made that work mm-hmm. for us but but yeah it was still it, like i said it's not like you know we're racing this new petriolite team with guys that used to race for with for post the bone with uh with gomez and you know these guys are mexican national team colombian national team guys that you know they they're you know uci uh track world champions and things like that so it's not like you know they can't sprint or hold you know handle their bikes either so yeah they can go bar to bar and not exactly <laughs> they're, they're they ain't scared of nobody either i'll tell you that. <laughs> just looking at your calendar um having such a versatile team i guess opens up a lot of opportunities to go to different kinds of events for you guys and um i'm seeing everything from criteriums to road races to gravel races and so I guess that leads to my question is what are the priorities in terms of these events since they are all so wildly different? So they are different. Um, the only other really road race, I think road racing type race on our calendar other than nationals is Joe Martin. Um, Joe Martin is a huge objective for us. Uh, you know, Ruben won that race in 2018, I believe. And uh, if, if I would be, I, I think it, it's a very fair observation to say that that race suits our team very well and after the dominican craven agreed before before the dominican he asked me why we were doing the dominican why we were going to do joe martin he thought it was going to be a waste of money and resources but then you know like i said five days in a row uh with second place is the worst place he's like oh maybe we should go do joe martin so uh so that that is a big objective of ours um but outside of that it is definitely crit racing uh the gravel racing we have a couple guys tanner ward won bwr kansas last year uh, so he's definitely gunning for that the the gravel stuff, and along with Curtis White, uh, you know, cyclocross sensation. So uh, th- those things will be a little less uh, full squad type races with with just two or three guys. I think Ben has some interest in doing that stuff as well. So uh, you know, not saying that's a B level event, but for the team, it's a B level priority. Uh, for us, you know, Tulsa Tough Speed Week, uh, Armed Forces, things like that, and then the American Crit Cup. That's definitely where our our main uh, main focus lies and of course that's a it's a little bit of a frustration and you know a balance of resources when rochester and joe martin are the same weekend but you know joe martin being the only other stagers we're going to do all year we are going to throw a lot of a lot of uh, eggs in that basket yeah just looking at your roster here from the bestbuddiesracing.org website you know you ruben danny brian gomez alfredo rodriguez who's obviously extremely talented you know, Robert Sierra, Curtis White, Tanner Ward, the guy who won BWR, Lawrence. I think you just mentioned that, Ben Wolf, and a little known bike racer named Ama Ensek. When you've got people of that capacity, 
people of that talent. I think just by naming those people there, we've named the top 10 from probably every single race last year. How do you create a strategy to maximize the team's success as opposed to just prioritizing one person's success? So that's where, you know, we have talked a lot about, you know, last year with team retirement, it was, you know, it was a going joke, but there is a, there is an advantage to having guys that not are checked out, but don't have that same, you know, last year I'll use, I'll use Travis and Danny uh, Estevez, for example, Estevez, he has this chip on his shoulder of, I need to win. And he needs to win for himself. He needs to win for his family. He needs to win for, for whatever his reasons are, he needs to win. And I respect that. And I respect everything he sacrifices to do it. But then you have a guy like Travis who has won all these bike races and likes to win, but does not need to win. But he has this experience to put a guy like Estevez in a position to make it easier to win. And so we have a team of such death, depth and such results that, you know, everybody on the team has won bike races. Everybody on the team has been successful. And so at this point, I think everybody here is, they're all checked in on the same thing. As long as we win, we're, we don't care how we get there. And everybody's very eyes wide open. They're all professional. They all know, you know, what they bring to the table, what races suit them the best, where they can be the most useful, what their job is, what their job has been in the past. And, you know, in, in Sonny King, I think if you go watch those last three laps, I don't think we made a single mistake in those last three laps. And we did that without saying a single word to each other. And that, that just goes through the chemistry that we've had through racing in the Dominican, racing in Panama, all this stuff is adding up to, you know, we didn't have to say that, oh, we're sprinting for Alfredo. It's, well, Alfredo's the fastest one of us here. So, you know, he, he's been sitting in a little bit more than us. Brian and I aren't feeling amazing, but we know we can still do our job of putting him in that last corner second and letting Brian dump it out of the corner. So, uh, not saying that nobody on the team wants to win. I don't know anybody that hates losing more than Brian Gomez, but he loves watching Alfredo win. He loves watching Danny win. And for us, watching these guys win, you know, you, I think you can see it in our finish line pictures is that nobody's bummed when, when it's Alfredo that wins or it's Danny that wins. As long as we're winning, uh, there, there's zero animosity in the team. So that roster, three of the guys on that roster came over in the last year from exceptional teams. Danny coming over from ButcherBox, uh, Tanner Ward coming over from First Internet Bank, and Ama coming over from Legion of Los Angeles. Why do you think that those guys wanted to leave exceptional programs for yours? What was it that you and Best Buddies Racing were offering to them? Not money, things like that. I mean, whatever. It is professional, but... I think it's opportunity and culture. If you spend one day around our team, you'll see that our culture is unmatched. Uh, we, we are extremely serious, and uh, you know, some people might think scary when it comes to the bike race because we have a lot of very large human beings on our team this year. Uh, for bike racers, goes, I think we could do a race with our average height being 6'2", if you ask for six of our biggest guys. But, uh, you know, our culture, it's very laid back uh, and it's very inclusive. It, it's inclusion lives here is, is the hashtag for best buddies. And it's a it's a saying that I'm trying to push throughout our whole team, whether it be at dinner, at the breakfast table. We try to do every meal together as much as we can. Um, but we, we really just want to make this family. And I, I've always been an advocate of the more we can get along off the bike, the more everybody is really gelling, the better we're going to race. It doesn't matter if a guy's having a bad day. But if you are, if it's your brother on the other line, on the other side of that, that lead out train, you're going to give everything you have that day for that guy. And, you know, I think people have seen the heart that we race with. And, you know, that I think it's attractive to other teams is, is we're giving you opportunity to be a part of something that is, is more than yourself. It's more than bike racing. And you're going to have the opportunity to be successful on the bike by, by really buying into it. Everybody that's bought into our program the most is being the most successful. And that, that for me has been, you know, it's, it's the return on investment tenfold of, uh, you know, these guys are, like you said, we're not paying them, you know, $50,000 and, you know, all these things, but our budget's not infinite. And 
Um, but we're, we're making the best of what we have. We just got our new bikes. You know, these guys were extremely patient with me and with our supporters of get, getting their stuff delayed. I know it's April and, you know, guys were like, oh, my team's asking for my bike back. My old sponsor's asking for the bike back. And, you know, the guys are riding their own personal bikes for the first three months of the year. But, um, but they were saying that we were, we were doing everything we could to make this, you know, for them and for, you know, the purpose of what, what we're out here for. So, uh, I think there are guys that are here for the mission. I think there's guys that are here for the bike racing because they saw that we were making some noise last year. But regardless of which one was your your motivation to come, uh, the reason they're staying is the family, and and that family includes our buddies. Are there any plans in the future to possibly have a women's best buddies team? We've talked about it. Uh, I've talked about it with Anthony, and it's not in our immediate you know, to-do list. It's definitely something that we have shelved that we would like to do. Um, I I personally see a huge advantage to that, especially if we stay as a U.S.-based team racing crits. Um, you know, I think there's equal amount of attention now to women's racing because of the, the equal live stream and equal pay. And so I think, I think for us, it would be, it's a no-brainer to do it's just financially we're waiting for the right time to do it. Um, so I will say, yes, that is, that is a plan. It's just not, you know, it's not like, Oh, we want to start one in 2023. I would love to start one in 2023. Um, but you know, that that's a whole staffing issue as well. When you talk about the team, it seems that you're involved in it a lot more than beyond just like a racer on the team. Do you have like a team title that is more than just Michael Hernandez racer? Like, I guess outside of the racing, kind of what is your status on that team? Yeah, so I, I work for Best Buddies full time. Um, my my role last year and this year, I, my my job title is manager of Best Buddies Racing, uh, camps, challenges, and club. Um, this year with Craven coming on board, I've given him a lot of the director responsibilities of that. And as we said earlier, as Rob said earlier, is I'm kind of more the glue between Best Buddies International and Best Buddies Racing. Um, Craven kind of oversees all our like product sponsors and all our industry sponsors, and I deal more with the Best Buddies side of things. Um, outside of that, I, I have responsibilities inside of Best Buddies in our non-competitive uh, group rides and camps and things like that. So, uh, you know, a lot of my time during the week is spent with that and not as much with the team um, other than, you know, the calls with, with sponsors and things like that that Craven needs to... Uh, it took it took a little time just because Best Buddies is a is a non for profit and we or operate in a different way than you know a lot of teams would operate normally. So we had to uh, you know there's just a little bit of gelling time for him to see like you know behind the curtain of how we do things. Tell us about having Tom Craven involved with the organization. He wasn't there in 2021. He's there now in 2022. How has you know this legend of the sport? you know, his involvement in this organization, how has it changed things? Oh, it's been terrible. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. He, he's, he's been amazing. Like he, he has fit in, in our program so flawlessly that, you know, I, I, I regret not having him last year. Um, he's come in and his biggest ask to me is let me let him do more. Um, you know, he, he tells me that I need to, you know, sit down more and stop, you know, helping. Um, but you know, it's in my nature and, and, and part of this is, is best place racing is, is my baby. It's, you know, it's something that I helped with the inception of it and, and I want to see it be successful more than anybody. And, uh, and so, but for him, it's been, like I said, flawless. He's, he's a professional on and off the bike. He knows how to gel with all the people, uh, and meet them in their space. Some people are more, uh, sentimental and emotional and some people you know they they like hearing things straight and he he's really good at reading those people and uh the, you know the logistics of everything he's been around the circuit you know so many times that you know whether it be knowing host housing or which hotel to stay at which airport what the best way to get somewhere is and what day to travel and all these things like he's been through all of it and so uh having him has been it's been a godsend from for my stress levels of of being able to do things and uh and yeah i i, I I hope he stays around for a long time and, you know, the team could really use him. I, I, I put a lot of our success this year for him being a part of it and being at the helm. Yeah, yeah, we kind of got away from it, but Rob alluded to it earlier. As far as 
where do you see the team going in like, you know, 10 years is kind of when you're talking about bike teams, that just seems like an unreasonable thing to ask. Like, what's your team going to be in 10 years? But winning like the Tour de France. <laughs> yeah. And the Giro and the, the Volta in the same year. <laughs> yeah. uh, but genuinely, like, do you feel like you want to get to a place where maybe you're like developing people or? Yeah, we, we would like to make a jump to Europe in you know, I don't want to say 10 years. I, I feel like if it takes us 10 years to get there, then we're, we're definitely missing steps along the way. Um, Craven and I have had that conversation and Craven Anthony and I have had that conversation of like what it takes, what the financial investment would be and all those things. And so if, you know, if we had the money, we would do it tomorrow. And I, I think there is, you know, that, that goes to the whole point of us not being UCI this year is I don't see a point in us being UCI unless we're racing in Europe. You can do any any UCI race in the U.S. as a domestic elite team. I don't see the point, including national championships. I don't I don't see the purpose of you know spending the money on the UCI and, and you know following all the regulations of the UCI if it's not needed. And you know I think there's people that are attracted to chasing UCI points, but that's not what our team is about. You know I, I would I would like to make the jump and go you know race the presidential tour of Turkey. It looks like a really fun time. And I, and I think our team could be successful there. I mean, Brian's top 10 on stage there. So, but, uh, you know, doing it in the right way with the right support, we, we would need, you know, three times as many bikes and TT bikes and, you know, gravel bikes. And you, you need all these, you know, it's a lot more than just like, oh, let's just go race in Europe. If we do it, we want to do it right. We want to do it professionally. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that the, the time will come and there will be a, there will be a best buddies. Like I said, we, we are best buddies international. And so, we will have a best buddies racing European team and a best buddies racing American crit team. I don't think we'll ever fully leave uh, the American racing scene like uh, human powered health has, but uh, you know, I think that I think there's still a lot of value in, in being here and performing in the U S and, and in the crit scene. I, I do. I'm a big believer that crit racing is the future of American bike racing. Um, it's the current, it's the present of American bike racing. So, uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't think we'll ever leave our, our grassroots of crit racing. Yeah. I mean, that seems in itself, like the perfect kind of like feeder thing, you know, you have kids go through the whole gauntlet of racing crits in America. And it's like, all right, you're ready now. We'll send you across the ocean. That's an argument that I've had with people. Actually, Skylar Schneider and I had this conversation riding. We were both in Europe at the same time with the national team in 2019. And we were having this conversation of, you know, USA cycling for a long time, really looked down on crit racing. And for a long time, looked down on me as, as, oh, he's just a crit racer. He's not going to make it to road racing and things like that. But, you know, I, I see so many people, you know, my age, you know, that, that were my age I was in Europe with that they were way stronger than me, but couldn't perform in Europe to save their life because they, they didn't know how to handle their bike. They didn't know how to turn. They didn't know how to, you know, be around big packs, fast speed, all that stuff. It is extremely different. I will say it's a thousand percent different, but there are basics and fundamentals you learn in crit racing that can be transferred directly to European racing to make you very successful over there. So, you know, there, I think there is a huge advantage of crit racing that not everybody fully takes advantage of that does want to make that European transfer. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I can even say for myself personally, like I'm still fairly new to the sport uh, and like coming from a running background, I was really strong pretty early on, but going through the whole USA crits like series last year, like I'm a hundred percent a better bike racer now than I was at the beginning of back last year, just from doing that. Yeah. So it's really good to see, especially with the like us crit cup that it seems at least that USAC is like finally realizing that it is like what they need to put a focus on. Let's talk about you here to kind of close the show. You know, obviously we've talked about your successes and you know, your personal accomplishments. I, this is my perception of you from having met you, you know, a couple of times and watched you race. You have this amazing confidence in yourself that I don't think a lot of 25 year olds or 24 year olds would have. Where do you get that confidence that you are making the right decisions? Because I think in in the end, it, it that is just what it ends up being is just you make a decision and you are confident that it is the right decision and therefore it becomes the right decision for you. Where does that come from? Um, if you want my full honest answer with that, I, I truly believe that that comes from my faith. 
Um, I'm a, I'm a believer in God. I believe that, you know, he has a plan for my life. He has a plan for, you know, everything I do in sport. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big part of athletes in action. And, uh, you know, it's something that Todd Henriksen and Brad Bartz and Brian Furley have all, you know, told me and, and, and preached to me is that my abilities on a bicycle are given to me for more than just pedaling. And that has been able to be transferred into best buddies and my role in best buddies extremely well. Um, and I get to see that, you know, daily through what I do with best buddies, but, you know, everywhere in my life, you know, I make the decisions, you know, through my day of, of, you know, not only what does God want me to do, but now it's like, what, and, you know, now, and I know we'll talk about this in a second of like, what, what would make my mom proud? And, uh, you know, that, that question guides my day just about every, every morning is, you know, what, what decisions can I make today to, you know, put a smile on her face? I didn't know what athletes in action was until Tulsa last year. And I'm sure some of the listeners here would love to know what athletes in action are, whether just because they want to know what that means or because they'd like to participate themselves. So what is athletes in action? Athletes in Action is a is a faith based community of athletes that uh, you know the the main purpose is to give athletes a church life uh, that travel too much to have a home church base. Um, you know it, we travel week in week out and we we don't have uh, we don't have always the opportunity to be really involved with our local churches with our local faith and and really be able to travel while keeping faith and, uh, and you know your your daily routine and, and scripture and. and in the Bible and in the word, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, at the forefront of your mind. And, you know, that, that's helped me become a, a much better crit racer uh, through those chapels. Uh, it really calms, calms me as a person. Um, I, I do portray confidence. I, I know, you know, you know, going around, but that's a lot of that comes from the fact that I, I don't portray anxiety uh, and fear and things like this going into bike races is, uh, I, I know I'm there for a reason. I know I'm there because God wants me to be there and, and I'm just trying to figure out why he wants me to be there. And, you know, I do that through, through racing and, and, but more than that, it's through how I, I deal with people and my interactions with people. I try to treat every person, you know, whether it be a sponsor, a fan, a teammate, you know, with, with the same love and compassion that, you know, I can, you know, the most that I can give somebody. Obviously, in the race, I can still be an edgy person, and you know, I, I still can, you know, I'll still chop somebody if if they need to be chopped, and uh, that, it's, that doesn't make me a soft person. I don't think I'm a, I, I don't try to be a soft person, I guess, but uh, you know, it's just it's just you know how I was raised, but also you know who I who I try to be. I, I do put a lot of effort into trying to make you know the right decisions and. You know, I think I've done it for a long enough time that it might, to a lot of people, might come across as natural, but it is a it is a daily battle that I that I face. Tell us about your mom. Um, well, she <laughs> that's a that's a broad question, but by design, it's a broad question because I like I want to see what you have to say because you and I both share you know the fact that we lost our mothers around the same time. You lost your mother when you were twenty three, I think I was dramatically older than you. So, you know, the fact is, is that I had had a lot more life experience to process that challenge, that pain than you did, but you've obviously used it to make yourself a better person because I know how you relate. It took a lot of yeah. time. No, I mean, my, my mom was the best person I I've ever met and she's going to be the best person I will ever meet. She was a you know, a God-fearing woman that uh, that loved everybody. She didn't matter. Didn't matter if she just met you. Uh, our house was always the open door house of you know. I always had my friends over. She didn't matter if I asked her for permission. Uh, you know, she was always with a smile on her face. Uh, my mom battled cancer, ovarian cancer, for eight and a half years. Um, I was fifteen, yeah, fourteen or fifteen when she was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she passed away May thirty-first of. Uh, of 2021. And, uh, you know, for the longest time I was in, I, I, growing up, I was an angry kid. I, I threw temper tantrums, um, all the way through when I found, when I found Christ on my own. And, and I also found a bicycle subsequent, subsequently in the same time, you know, I, I have a lot of my faith, uh, my, my views on faith and my views on, on God because of my mother. And, uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful for that. 
but you know, it, like, like I said, I had eight and a half years that I wasn't supposed to have. Uh, my mom had stage four ovarian cancer when she was diagnosed and she coded twice on that surgery table. And so I was supposed to lose my mom when I was 15. And by the grace of God, I had her for eight and a half more years. Uh, those eight and a half more years, I tell people, I think arguably at the most important years in somebody's life, uh, at least in like my brother, sister and I's life, it, it sculpted me into the man I am today. Uh, she, she sculpted me through those years of, you know, prior to that. Yeah. There's a lot of developmental things that happened, but you know, she, she taught me, you know, how to, and my, my father as well, who's, who's still alive, thank God. But, uh, you know, there's so much I learned from my mom about the person I want to be. And, you know, that, that, that's what guides my days. Uh, you know, and I look at every one of those days for eight and a half years as a blessing, um, that I, that I got those experiences that I wouldn't have had if she had passed, you know, on that table nine years ago. You dealt with loss very publicly. And I believe firmly that sport is the most important thing that we have until everything else becomes apparent and prevalent. You lost your mother in May of 2021. In June of 2021, you were back to bike racing. You were back to leading your team. You raced 58 times in 2021, I believe. The majority of them is after you lost your mother. Did bike racing and being a part of this team help you process that? Not in the way that most people think that it did. Um, the reason I, I left, I left two or three days after my mom passed away for a three month road trip um, that included all these bike races that went from June through August. Being at these bike races was not a, a lot of my friends and family, you know, looked at it as a way for me to just escape the, the morning of, you know, my family, you know, at home. Um, my mom was in hospice for three weeks before she passed and, you know, her biggest fear before she passed from me that oh, I, I wasn't going to go to all these bike races that she knew I was going to, um, you know, she, it, it sounds morbid, but, you know, like I said, we, we were very strong believers in faith. We, we both knew where my mom was going and she had told me that if she didn't pass before that, you know, she still wanted me to leave, but uh, she, she told me that she wanted to pass before June. So that way she, I wasn't, you know, missing bike races and, you know, that, that was the woman my mom was, she knew I wasn't going to go, but you know, for, for me, it wasn't the bike racing that, that, you know, cleared my head or helped me move on. It, it was the people I was with, um, mainly my fiance. I was fortunate enough to be able to travel a lot with her last year and her to comfort me in, you know, times of weakness and times of, you know, there, there's so many races that I went to that my mom went to, you know, and watched me at races. And like, you, like what we were kind of talking about earlier with, uh, your mom and, uh, wanting to call your mom and tell her, you know, my mom was the first person I called when I finished a bike race. Was like, mom, I, I, I did this today or my team did this or, and I'm okay. Or, you know, whatever it is. And then she would tell the rest of my family. And so, you know, I finished a bike race and I'd have 12 people from my family calling me, how'd you do? And for me, that was, it took me a long time to even want to respond to them because that wasn't the job that I had before. It was something my mom always did. And so, you know, that ability to not just be able to pick up the phone and call her is, it's, it was something I still like, it's amazing how that's one of the biggest things that I miss is like not being able to just pick up the phone and call my mom is I, you know, I've been a bike racer for, you know, 12 years. So being on the road is normal for me and having a relationship with my mom via phone, via phone calls, you know, is normal. Uh, she would leave me, you know, silly voice note, voicemails if I didn't answer. And, uh, you know, like she would sing, I, you hate your mother, you hate your mother. And, you know, things like that. If I didn't call her for a few days, just to, just to make me feel guilty for, for not talking to her enough. And, you know, that, that stuff is, you know, those are the little things that, that I probably miss the most is, is not having all that. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it was community that, that really helped me move through it. And, and I knew that I was going to get that community on the road, not at home. Um, I knew that I was going to fall into a probably a much darker place, you know, sitting at home. And the reason I made it very public when my mom passed, when I went on the road is I, I, I'm not somebody that really wanted sympathy or pity from people. And I asked all my teammates, you know, on my job, not to, you know, look at me different, not to treat me different, um, that I'm the same Michael Hernandez that was there before. So, 
you know, I, I needed to let everybody know that, you know, a huge thing in my life changed, but I, I it took time, but I, I will not change. And I'm going to be that person she wanted me to be anyway. We promised that this was a love story. So tell us about your fiance, Valentina. Yeah. So Valentina and I got engaged in uh, September. Uh, we've been dating since October of 2020. So it was really, it's huge for me. The fact that Valentina got to meet my mom. Um, you know, she was there for me since my mom passed and she's still there for me with, with everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me. We're planning a wedding right now. And it's hard for me. Like every time I think about like my mom's not going to be at my wedding. Um, Valentina is very aware of that. And, you know, she's definitely been there for that, uh, for me for that. And, you know, on the road, like I said, like she, she put her whole life on pause over the summer to make sure that she was there for me. And I'll be forever grateful for to Valentina for that. Uh, there was so much that she missed out on in her own personal life at home because she was traveling. Like she was a bike racer herself. If people don't know Valentina, she is a bike racer. So she was also racing and she had fun at these races too. But her main reason for being there was, you know, to be there for me and that, you know, and, and I know that and people know that and, and, you know, she knows that and that for me, you know, that nobody has showed me that love other than my mom. So uh, you know, that, that for me is what makes her, that's why I proposed, I guess. I've got the picture of you proposing to her on my phone right now. And it looks like a little blue box. Yeah. It's, I, I, your boy went to Tiffany. That's some style. I mean, like you had the photographer there, you had the little blue box. Can, can you tell us about the proposal? Yeah, so that little, that little area right there on the water, it's right behind, it's uh, right on the Brickle Bay, I guess, is what that area is called. It overlooks Key Biscayne uh, down in Miami. And right when I started going to Miami, uh, Valentina was also living in Brickle, and I was staying with a friend of mine uh, for a couple months while I was just trying to figure out you know, life. And just about every day we would walk down to that little pier and sit at night and just like – you know, watch boats go around and watch the sunset, whatever it was. And we'd sit there and just talk for hours. And, uh, you know, when I was thinking about like, how am I going to propose? Where am I going to propose? I thought, well, what about the place that we'd walk to all the time? And, uh, and so her, one of her best friends is a caterer. And so I called her best friend right when I bought the ring and I said, I need ideas on, uh, on how to set up a little picnic without Valentina knowing. And, uh, I told Valentina that we were going to go to a fancy steak dinner just because uh, it was right after, I think, a team camp of ours. And, you know, it was as a, or no, it was, it was right after a race. It was it, like right the weekend before Winston-Salem. So I was like, oh, you know, I haven't been home in a long time and I just want to take you to a nice dinner. So I got her to dress up, put some heels on. And uh, she told me that she wished she would have put something that covered her uh, tan lines. But I told her that's part of who she is. So <laughs> show them off. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, to me, I think it was, it was perfect. And, you know, to have I, one of her good friends is also a photographer who lives right there in Brickle. So I, I called him and I said, Hey, can you be here five minutes before I get there? And, uh, you know, they, they came through for me. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, for me, it was perfect. And I, I wouldn't have done it any other way. I just have one question based on like your involvement with Buzz Buddies, like the organization and the team. And then also planning a wedding um, and maintaining what is often a long distance relationship. And I think this is a problem that a lot of cyclists run into. Like we kind of have to, at one point or another, be in a long distance relationship if that's something that we want to have. Um, do you have like any advice, I guess, um, for for other cyclists who deal with the same situations? Patience. Uh, you know, Valentina and I have, have this conversation all the time that it's a lot harder for the spouse at home than the spouse on the road because, you know, it's at the end of the day, this is work, but it's easy to look at it and say like, like right now I'm in Clarksville, Georgia with Alfredo and, and Brian. And so, you know, we're posting pictures every day, like goofing off and, you know, riding bikes and it looks like we're just having a grand old time and I'm on vacation, but this is, this is work. And, and this is the the life that, you know, I think for a lot of people it's, it's you know, when, when they meet in a relationship and the person already is a cyclist, you know, there is that expectation. And I'm used to being on the road so much. For Valentina, you know, she had never dated a cyclist uh, that at the level that, like, we compete at. So it's a little harder for her to, like, 
you know, not, she gets it. And obviously like, you know, she definitely understands who I am and what I do and the responsibilities that come along with that. But it is definitely harder when, when she's at home. And especially right now, she, she broke her elbow in Panama and I left three days later. Uh, and so she's like, well, I'm at home healing and, and you're out having fun. And, you know, so it, it is hard, but I think, I think patience is, is the key to that. And I'm typically not a very patient person. And, uh, you know, and I think it's patience on both sides, patience, you know, with the person that is on the road to, you know, be understanding of the person at home and, you know, the feelings that they're having of, you know, either loneliness or, uh, you know, and especially in our case where Valentina is also a bike racer is there's that little bit of FOMO and, uh, and just wanting to be here and wanting to be a part of everything we're doing. And, uh, and then there's the other part of it of just like, you know, that, that home life that you're, you're missing out on. So, uh, you know, and then the other side of it is patience at home with understanding that, you know, this is the person that you love. This is the person you want to be with. And this is the life that they live and, you know, being a part of that, but not, you know, I guess trying to not make it secondary, um, to bike racing or, or whatever you're doing outside of, you know, your relationship. So, but yeah, it's a lot of patience and understanding and I work on it every day. Um, I guess only just that, like, this has been really like refreshing. Uh, we were in a lot of the same places last year, but I never like really met you or got to chat with you, but just, yeah, hearing what you're doing with best buddies and especially what like the team is doing for best buddies and the buddies themselves. It's just, yeah, really unique and different in the world of cycling. So it's been, yeah, which is really great to get to talk to you and hear all about it. Yeah. Keep it up. Yeah. I guess just, uh, thanks for taking the time to come out and talk to us and tell us your story and yeah, for being here. Really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All of you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com, your one-stop shop to check out everything you want in independent cycling media. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Like we said at the top, we've got two weeks off to go do our own bike racing, but when we come back, I am so excited. We're going to be going into an Alan and Celine produced, edited, total absolute them effort in which we talk with some of the folks who were at the home stretch foundation this year along with celine it's something that we've been calling the stretchies before we get back into it with the project echelon files chapter two so have fun out there go do some racing keep on touch with us on instagram we'll be giving you all the results from redlands speed week all of it and then come back here for more stories from our Criterium Nation.